Hello there. Welcome to the Herbcast, the podcast from Herbal Reality, delving into the plant-powered world of herbalism. So do you know your echinacea from your eleutherococcus or your polyphenol from your polysaccharides? Whether you're a budding herbalist, an inquisitive health professional, or a botanical beginner, Herbcast is here to inform and inspire you on your journey to integrating herbs in our everyday lives. So settle down, turn us up, and let's start today's episode of the Herbal Reality Herbcast. everyone, I'm here with Ewan McLennan, who is a medical herbalist and a teacher at Herbal Degree Courses, and is also Herbal and Sustainability Director at Pucker Herbs, so it's great to be here with you, Ewan. Thanks, Seb. Lovely to be here. An absolute pleasure. We have the pleasure of working together over the years, don't we? So we should uh, own up to that as such, but um, we don't always get the chance to have um, such a talk about our clinical practice, do we? And I wanted to talk to you today about your your work as a clinical herbalist and explore how you work, what it's all about when one sees a, a client and uh, some of the, the benefits of, of herbalism. But I was, I was wondering, how did you get into becoming a herbalist? I came to it rather late in life. Um, not that I'm so late in life already, but uh, it was something I discovered whilst pursuing a career to which I was probably ill-suited. <laughs> so um, I grew up uh, in the north of Scotland, up on the Isle of Skye, and in the southwest of Ireland, in the green ring of Kerry. Um, and my earliest memories are of uh, being in gardens and planting alongside my mother and being fascinated by plants and where we could put them and how they'd grow, and I'd have my own special plants and things. Um, and then I ended up, for one reason or another, being a lawyer in the city of London, um, litigating and doing professional negligence work around tax and pensions and all of this kind of stuff. And it was like, why did I end up doing this? So whilst I was working in the city, um, I thought, I love education, I love learning. Um, and I had the world at my, at my feet, really, in terms of educational institutions all around me in London. And I could, I could learn anything I wanted to, because I, I had my career already, albeit maybe not so well suited to it. Um, and I went to a, an adult learning uh, institution where they were doing um, some herbal medicine. Um, and it was just on a Tuesday evening for about uh, two or three hours. And I turned up for that. And it really did just open my eyes. And after three months, you could tick a box to say you'd like to do uh, another three months. And I wrote down, I'm not going back for three months, but I'm definitely going to go and find out how to study this poss- uh, properly because... I, w- I was just full of wonder. Mm, wonderful. So it sort of reminded you and reawoken that love you had when you were a, a child and looked like it was promising opening up new doors for an exciting future as well. Yes, it was that. And I think part of it was the plants and the... I think especially when I found myself living in London, which I only went up to do my my legal training and I expected to leave within two years and work in a, a, a practice in the countryside somewhere, I ended up meeting my partner and I was living in an environment in a city that probably wasn't quite what I wanted. So it gave me the opportunity to touch in with nature and, and things that fulfilled me a little bit more. But also when I started to learn about the human body, to learn about physiology, to learn about how diseases work, um, and it, it, it was just a whole universe. Um, and I think that really captured both my 
creative imagination and also my love of detail and my love of understanding. Um, and it all wrapped up into that, uh, which just felt like, this is it, I found it. Mm, wonderful. I mean, it's so diverse, isn't it, when you study to become a herbalist? There's such a lot of uh, range, as you say, from the anatomy, physiology, to pharmacology, mm. to botany, and then to the clinical work. Um, so you went on to train to become a herbalist? I did. Um, so I trained in London at uh, UEL, um, and I did it over the course of four years alongside working at the same time up until the end when I started to become part-time and things so I could fit in all of my clinical hours um, and it was quite hard work I will confess and some areas I probably would have done much better on if I'd been given a little bit more time but um, yes um, and I, I found the degree course absolutely fascinating as well um, and it's one of those areas where you never ever stop learning I mean to this day I learn mm. something from the people I sit alongside at work every time I go into the surgery I learn something I learn something from you whenever we speak as well so um, that that's lovely just that that continues going I know it's so deep isn't it it's like an eternal yes. font of uh, discovery and so so after you qualified did you go straight into clinical practice um, more or less, so I started working in an osteopathy clinic in Bloomsbury mm -hmm. uh, alongside an amazing chap who uh, was a teacher as well, a chap called Andreas. Um, I worked there for uh, about two or three years um, and at the same time I started to teach. So I started to teach uh, at the universities clinical medicine, pathology, differential diagnosis, examining bodies, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so that was sort of, I suppose, keeping bread and butter on the table as much as anything else as well, but also continuing to deepen my knowledge of what, what was really fascinating me. Um, and I started working uh, in helping to edit a medical journal, the Journal of Herbal Medicine, um, which was giving me a, a sort of link into where the profession was going and, and what kind of evidence was mm -hmm. being produced as well, which I hope gave me a good grounding in trying to understand the, the science and rigour that sits behind the subject. And it wasn't until about two or three years that I started working in a proper, pro an integrated service uh, within the centre of London. And so tell me about that. Well, integrated service sounds interesting. That's not normally the way people necessarily refer to herbalism because people often work in their own clinic, don't they, or, or in, a, in a sort of complementary medicine practice. So tell us about yeah, that. Yeah, I was really lucky to uh, start working at a National Health Service NHS practice uh, in the centre of London and I started about 10 years ago um, and it's an integrated herbal medicine service um, and there I sit alongside the uh, GPs and the practice nurses etc um, and offer a full spectrum of treatment to patients that is fully integrated so somebody can come in to see the GP about having anything from gynaecological problems to mental health problems to a sore tummy um, or they could decide they want to see a medical herbalist uh, at the same time um, or they might go and see the GP and the GP says well actually I think you'd be better suited to speaking to Ewan because he would take a slightly different approach that might be better suited to your to your presentation and that's been absolutely fascinating because it's nice to see how herbal medicine works when it has access to 
services like all of the patient notes and all of the blood tests that are being done and you can order blood tests or investigations you can refer on etc and you stop seeing herbal medicine as an isolated way of practicing which as you say is very often the case you have sole practitioners really who are trying to do everything themselves i'm lucky in that respect that i'm part of an integrated practice and it very much shapes my belief in herbal medicine as being one of the pieces of health rather than the absolute answer in and of itself. Mm, I like that, exactly, that there are, you know, there are many paths to take, aren't there, on the, on the journey to health, and herbalism has got a lot to offer, but there are many other skills and modalities that we need to work with. And so it sounds like you all or potentially can refer to each other in the clinic. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. And do you all get together sometimes to discuss, uh, you know, cases so that you can understand where each other's needs and uh, expertise lies. Yeah, that's one of the lovely parts of it as well. There are two ways of doing it, I suppose. There's the informal chat that goes on in the staff room behind the practice where you're having a sandwich and chatting about, oh, I'm just sending this person through to you. This is what's presenting with them. I think this is where you might be able to help. And then you get an opportunity to ask questions, etc. Or I could be doing the same and saying, well, I've just seen somebody and actually... I think they need X, Y, and Z, so I'm going to refer them back through to you before um, I do any treatment. Mm. Um, And then there's the more formal aspect of once a week there's a clinical meeting within the practice where everybody turns up and talks about their tricky patients. And again, going back to the practice of herbal medicine in this country and others and it being a, a sole profession quite often, there's a huge amount of pressure on you when you're a sole a person who feels like they're just giving sole medical advice to somebody and there's another team that maybe you know the general practitioners or secondary care or something who may be looking after that patient at the same time but you have no avenue of communication with them and um, so you're relying on a patient to be a go-between which isn't often what the patient needs to be doing uh, or should be doing uh, so that that's very supportive mm-hmm. and I, I imagine that the doctors you work with they sound very open to other forms of treatments but they probably haven't been trained in herbalism per se and so what do you put forward as the real strengths of herbalism to to them or or anyone else actually well when i first started um the justification i made for herbal medicine moving into the practice in in a meaningful way was around cost and also around uh, it's not a very nice way of speaking about patients but heart sync patients you know the ones that turn up again and again and you get very little satisfaction either for the for the clinician or for the patient because the Mm. the treatment returns seem to be very very low on both sides Um, and that's that's how I got my foot in the door Um, but I think there are some very clear areas of therapeutic gaps in medicine and I think if you see it as everybody's on the same side or there are two sides of the fence depending on where natural medicine and orthodox medicine sit um, I think some of those would be well acknowledged on both sides Um, so gastrointestinal medicine is not terribly well treated in conventional practice but brilliant for herbal medicine it really is and it's I always smile if I see somebody coming into the clinic who has a a gastrointestinal complaint it's rather unkind but uh, true Um, Also mental health. Um, I think you can do a huge amount in herbal medicine around mental health. Um, I think that's one of the places that we really do excel. And then, so I I, I could talk forever about the the positive aspects of herbal medicine. I think gynecological health as well, because um, 
it just it just depends on what approach the patient wants to take as well because um, as I'm sure we've talked about many times in the past the question of choice for your patient is sometimes really important as well because even if the right avenue of intervention or treatment is available to the patient through their regular GP, they might not want to take it. And if they don't want to take it, then it's not good medicine for them, regardless of whether it might make them better or not, they're not getting better. So sometimes patient choice is as important as whether one is better than the other or not. Mm, mm. And, and potentially where the individual is on their journey with that pattern in their, in their life it can be obviously lots of people come into a herbal clinic having tried many other things don't they and so they they're often at the end of the road in a way in in terms of choices and so they come come in desperation i, I love the idea of your clinic that works in an integrative way where perhaps certain uh, more empowering self-care orientated practices can be adopted earlier on in people's health journey in a way and i, I think that's something that herbalism offers so well isn't it a a chance to learn how to live day to day not just to address a single disease per se i love that idea and and absolutely one of the ones i live by i think in clinical practice as well one thing that herbal medicine does infinitely better than conventional medicine at the moment and, and, and part of this is because of where they focus um, and what they put value on and what they train in uh, as much as what maybe they can do but the use of herbal medicine to optimise good health, to make you be the best person you can be, to allow you to thrive in your environment, is really amazing and quite staggering sometimes, and also to be used as a preventative mechanism. And we know that a lot of conventional health systems, like the NHS and various others that are in place in many developed countries, love the idea of preventative health, because preventative health at the end of the day, it, even if you just come down to economics, reduces the burden on a health system, reduces the cost on the country, um, and all of that is good for whomever is running it. Um, but it's not something we do because it's expensive. It requires a huge amount of upfront investment, and most healthcare systems at the moment are not in a position where they could contemplate that in any meaningful way, I don't think. Mm, mm. I mean, I wonder if ever certain easier to access aspects of self-care might ever get introduced in an educational system so from a you know at school in a way when you're when you're learning how to um, study sciences or study geography or whatever the subject might be it can be integrated I've always always hoped that might be the case in the future so tell me a little bit about where you think some of the limitations of herbalism might be it's a really interesting question um, as I said, I could talk forever about the positive side uh, of herbal medicine, but I think there are a few limitations as well. Um, and some of those centre around treatment uh, and practice, uh, and some of them centre around the herbs themselves. Uh, so, for example, I, I do think we have a little bit of an industry problem around the quality of herbs um, and the credibility that herbal medicine has generally. Um, there is so much uh, poor uh, herbal uh, product uh, around the market that I think one, it erodes confidence uh, from the patient point of view, but it also erodes some confidence from the practitioner point of view as well. If you don't know how much you're giving of a certain substance and you can't rely upon the active compounds within there, then that can be, that can be uh, difficult sometimes. 
Um, there are other areas where I think there are limitations as well, just from the point of view of who is a herbalist and what, who can you rely on uh, if you're a patient looking for a good practitioner. We have self-regulated professional bodies, um, but there are many, many other people out there who are practicing as herbalists or prescribing herbs within various other practices um, who maybe haven't trained in the same way. So I do think there needs to be more of a commonality um, and uh, um, a measurement of common standards in the profession. From my point of view, that would help an awful lot. <laughs> well, there are two big points there, aren't they, really? That there is, as you've talked about, a lot of professional training in herbalism and, and rigorous at that. Um, but there is also the question around the, the title of herbalist and who can call themselves a herbalist, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. You have um, protection of title for nurses, for doctors, for lawyers. Um, and then I move into an area of practice where I've worked as hard to become a medical herbalist as I worked to become a lawyer, but suddenly I have no protection over my title and anyone can go out and say I'm, I'm a medical herbalist. And, uh, mm -hmm. and that is, frankly, it concerns me because if you're practicing as a, as a good medical herbalist, which I hope we do, um, you are diagnosing illness and you, are, you have people relying upon you to enact interventions that are looking after their health. Um, and that's a position of some responsibility and I think it needs a foundation of good practice and competence. So what can people do to find out who uh, is reliable in terms of their clinical training, etc.? Where, where does the public go to find out about that? So at the moment, there, there are a, a few professional bodies, such as the College of Practicing Phytotherapists, CPP, the National Institute of Medical Herbalists, which is NIM, um, and they have required standards for entry into the professional body, which means you need mm -hmm. to have done a degree level or equivalent in, in herbal medicine practice, and you also need to have continuing professional development, you need to have insurance, you know, all of those things that mean that people can rely upon you to look after their health. Uh, so I think they're a good starting point. And you can, you can also, there's a recently uh, set up Herbal Alliance where there's a list of whether you want to see Ayurvedic or Chinese practitioners as well that have been through some of the same rigorous training. Um, but this product quality as well is such a challenging area, isn't it? In the sense that there are herbs you can buy for cooking in the supermarket. There are uh, food supplements you can buy in terms of uh, over-the-counter pills or tinctures. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a complex world for the consumer to navigate. What do you recommend people look out for? How do you work out what's good to buy? There's no one right answer. No, there isn't unfortunately, is there? Because we don't have one standard that runs across everything. Um, it's very true, so if you go to buy a paracetamol, an aspirin, a cough medicine, whatever, they have to comply with certain licensing requirements and and they have to contain certain amounts of an active compound that are proven to have had a, a, a clinical effect. Um, yeah. With herbs, we're doing similar. We're using a plant which contains compounds that we believe interacts with the physiology of the human body to enact a beneficial aspect on health. But the issue is how do you make sure that the right plant is in there in the first place, the right level of compounds are there, and that um, it also, it's not a small thing, but it has been responsibly sourced. It's been responsibly found and harvested and grown because it can 
do a lot of damage to the planet, which you know is is a big problem too. Uh, so the things I would look out for are number one is organic, because that gives you some surety that it looks after the planet to a degree. Um, I would be looking for certifications like is it fair for life, is it fair wild, because that lets you know that through the supply chain care has been taken around both the cultivation of that herb or the harvesting of that herb from the wild and the people who have to work with it as well. So for me that's incredibly important. Um, and then you can look for people who have those kind of uh, standards embedded into their systems because you're hoping that they will be able to deliver on the right level of active components as well because you can benchmark those components against pharmacopoeial standards for example which, which give you some confidence that you're prescribing what you, what you think you are. Yeah, um, it, particularly with the advancement of global trade and e-commerce and things like that, people definitely need to look out for the, the quality and criteria that they want to buy herbs against. And so what do you use in clinic, Ewan? What, what, when you're working with your clients, what sort of uh, medicines are you dispensing? So I'm, a, I'm quite a Western herbalist, um, and I take quite an orthodox approach to uh, to diagnosis, to treatment, to prescription, if I kind of look at those three steps of it. Um, and it probably wouldn't be hugely different to the approach taken by a GP in, in many aspects, because I also have to input all of my practice onto the national health system as well. So it needs to make sense to people, and that's probably shaped my approach uh, to a certain degree. Mm. Um, and a lot of the herbs that I would use would be herbs where in my mind I can say it contains this constituent and that constituent works in this way within the body and I know maybe what evidence sits below that and therefore I'd expect it to have this physiological effect um, and that, that is mine. So I use lots of herbs like hypericums, so St John's wort, um, passion flower, uh, everything from, I use lots of culinary herbs as well, so caraways and cinnamons and mints and uh, aniseeds and fennels and all of those licorice but then in western herbal practice which is far younger than the ancient traditions of Ayurveda or traditional Chinese medicine we've learnt from uh, our, our older brothers and sisters um, and we use some of the herbs like astragalus and ashwagandhas and shatavaris and that have come in from then have years and years of, uh, of, of practice and use um, so in that respect can be more eclectic but my prescriptions tend to be formulated to say a very very simple one somebody comes in with a cold I'd be thinking okay so it's a, a, a viral infection how do I tackle that uh, and then I'd be thinking of what are the symptoms how do I improve the quality of life and then I'd be thinking you know does this person get more coughs and colds than normal people if that's the case maybe I'll be doing something with that and I'd be thinking, how do I help the body as well? So maybe I'll be doing things like trying to help sleep or um, advising on diet and things like that that might help somebody uh, overcome an illness more quickly, especially if I know that there's a tendency for chest infections to arise or something like that. So try to be a bit more holistic about it rather than wholly reductionist and just going, mm. you're sick, you've got this illness, <laughs> therefore I'm going to throw this medicine at the illness and chase it away. But it sounds like you're getting the best of both worlds in a way. You're getting the very specific criteria that addresses the presentation, the presenting disease, but also you're looking at 
you know, why it might have happened, how to prevent it in the future, and you know, how to help them be more comfortable through their journey as they, as they get better, which hopefully from a cold is pretty quick. <laughs> I mean, it sounds very uh, comprehensive. You know, what do you think gets people better? You know, big question maybe, but you've put together these beautiful formula and you've, you've, you've made this recipe. Within that, what do you think are some of the things that help people get better? Gosh, that's a big question as well. So what make people get better? Um, I always, and I talk to my students about this quite a bit when they start out and also later when they're getting into the real clinical practice. Mm. I think of a good clinician as being somebody who is a little bit of a Miss Marple or an Hercule Poirot. You're really going into a bit of a crime scene and you're trying to work out what's happened, who did it, what are the clues that are sitting around there and how do you prevent this happening to, you know, happening again. You don't want there to be a serial killer on the loose, for example. So um, I think it's it's an understanding of the whole person. For me, that is really, really important, understanding the whole crime scene as, as a unit and trying to think about how does this fit together and how do you walk into that stage and have the best possible influence on your patient. I think a strong therapeutic relationship with the patient is incredibly important. Um, the patient needs to trust you. Um, you need to trust the patient as well. There needs to be an exchange of information. Um, and in the long term, I think one of the things that helps patients more than anything else is if they trust you as a clinician and listen, listen to you as a person to educate them about their health and to help them take steps in their life that means that they are less likely to become ill and their families are less likely to become ill and their health is the best it possibly can be. And if you can establish that relationship of education and imparting what you hope you've learnt in your years of practice and, and, and learning, then I think that's one of the things that sets people up in the best mm. possible way for success. Mm, lovely. So it's this sort of deepening a relationship of uh, trust and um, openness, really, to listen to each other and, and, and find a way to work together. Yeah, beautiful. I think that there's, there's something more profound, as well as the sort of phytochemical power, isn't there? Um, but I'm also interested in that phytochemical power, which is also <laughs> very profound. And, you know, Maybe explain a little bit about how some of the herbs are working in the body as well. How, how you see putting together, you know, because a lot of research is on single herbs, isn't it? But we, we often make, a, as you've just talked about, you know, a blended formula with, I don't know, four to ten or so herbs, depending on how one practices. And it just be interesting to explore that journey in the body when you've made a prescription for a, for a client. And they're, they're, they've had that good relationship with you, and they've got the confidence of their holistic lifestyle plan. How do you see the herbs working in the body? And I know some of this is sort of front edge of research in a way, and we're always discovering how herbs work, you know, day by day. But we'd just love to hear your take on it. I suppose herbalists are the original polypharmacists. So uh, there is a, a certain amount of criticism that's levelled at herbalists on the basis that you don't just use one, you don't just use, say, a substitute for aspirin to treat inflammation or a headache. You prescribe six different herbs and you've got no idea how those all, all interact and what they might be doing to the patient. 
But we also know that even though drugs are not trialled together, polypharmacy happens all the time with patients because especially as patients get older they tend to be taking multiple medicines whether they're from the doctor and that's very often the case or whether they're buying their own medicines and supplements and other foods that interact with medicines as well so we all work on the basis of polypharmacy um, and how our herbs work within the body you know we have a fairly good understanding of quite a lot of these so say you have a patient who uh, we, we have the same patient uh, still has a cold even after what you've been doing previously and your concern is that this cold um, which is fairly a fairly minor affliction at the moment if it stays with this patient for much longer what's going to happen is it's going to settle a little bit lower down the respiratory system and you end up with a bronchitis presentation which starts to become a little bit more serious because that can have wider health implications for the patient um, so you might prescribe something like very strong extract of thyme um, and thyme contains a monoterpene or a volatile oil, which is a small uh, uh, compound. And that compound, thymol, um, has the ability when you swallow it, you ingest it, it, it travels into the digestive system, it goes in the digestive system in the same way as your food would, it travels into your bloodstream uh, or some of the nutrients from it do and the volatile oils do because as I said before they're very very small so they can cross intestinal barriers quite easily. When they're in the bloodstream they travel around your body and we know that thymol from numerous studies and also the fact it's even used in some household cleaning products as well because it is very strongly antibacterial. Uh, it has a bactericidal uh, uh, effect um, and it's very small as we mentioned before so when it travels around your body and it gets to uh, we remember that your blood is used for one very important mechanism which is exchanging carbon dioxide and oxygen at the lungs um, and so we know that there is a, a barrier that can be crossed there between bloodstream and lung because you are exchanging oxygen and CO2 all of the time if you use a really small little compound like a monoterpene like thymol it can also hijack that system and it can go from your blood into your lungs and as we mentioned before it is a strong antibacterial and it has exactly that effect when it goes into the small vessels within the lungs it goes into the alveoli of the lungs where it has a localized antibiotic effect and from a sort of bioscientific point of view that's that's exactly what the mechanism you're looking at with with a herb like that and there are lots of other herbs where you, you could talk about st john's wort and hypericum works in a very very similar way to selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors so ssris like prozac citalopram uh, sertraline etc um, and that works by affecting the speed at which serotonin which is a feel-good substance is uh, taken up and uh, taken out of your bloodstream so you don't feel as good anymore it, it increases its longevity in the blood and therefore you feel a bit better uh, if the research is everything it says it is uh, for both the orthodox side and the herbal mm. side um, so those mechanisms we we understand very well um, but there are also other ways in which practitioners may may work which are they may use more energetic principles and energy principles to approach patients um, and you have and I have met uh, practitioners who are not hugely scientifically uh, trained and don't have this sort of biomedical approach but they're hugely effective because they understand humans and they seem to understand herbs and through practicing for a long period of time are almost intuitively able to to care for people um, and that's something that I'm always in awe of I think it's a, it's an amazing ability to have um, 
so yes, I hope that answers some of it. Anyway. Mm. No, fascinating. I mean, it's it's that these traditions of herbalism, whatever we practice, be it Chinese, Ayurveda, or should we say um, Western herbalism, um, they all contain this this wisdom that leads you to uh, an answer where you can assess someone's constitution and you can look at their health in a holistic way and then the mechanisms that you use for your treatment are contained within that tradition. You're sort of protected in a way by that knowledge base. Um, so no, I love that story of taking some time and it travelling you know, all the way through you to, to come out and protect your lungs and I think that is a, the, a way of seeing how you know, what we bathe our tissues in um, was something I was always taught at college, you know, what you bathe your tissues in is what your, your cells are going to respond to and you've got this whole dialogue going on between, between the, the inner and the outer world and if you can optimise that with some careful, careful tweaks and um, uh, gentle interventions with some of the herbs then you can nudge yourself in a direction of health. And when you say the inner and the outer world and, and the gentle tweaks it just brings to mind something else that I think is very very important from a herbal medicine point of view because I think what you're alluding to is the idea of balance as well um, and that's where I think herbal medicine can be very very strong because there are some illnesses which are or, or, or medical conditions which are manifestly caused by a significant disturbance uh, whether it's an infective organism or something else that throws the body into a place where it shouldn't be there are a lot of other conditions that we see and a lot of chronic, chronic illnesses where it feels more like it's a matter of balance within the body and actually what you don't need to do is go at the body uh, with, with a sledgehammer. What you really want to do is gently help the body find its own way and that's where using medicines like some of the herbs which are very akin to foods but are more concentrated and therefore almost fuel the body uh, or gently steer it one way or another uh, can be in a, a really, really effective uh, approach for some patients. And will you send some of your patients home with some ideas? They've got their, they've got their nice bottle of medicine, or hopefully not tasting too bad. Mm -hmm. And uh, do you, would you give some other advice as well that people can take with them? Some of these nudging, nudging tactics? All the time. So sometimes actually the medicine is the lesser of the interventions um, and you'd almost use the medicine as a, a central or a focus point for the treatment that you're trying to give which is really to establish healthier patterns or is to make interventions around lifestyle that are far more important or to bring to that patient a sense of worth or empowerment or confidence that allows them to act in the right way for themselves because no matter the skill of the clinician whether they be herbal or they be a general practitioner or a yoga practitioner or anything if the patient doesn't help themselves or want to get well it's a a very strong uphill battle to to have significant sort of inroads in the in improving health mm. Well, as you were talking about, you know, polypharmacy before and that people often take multiple medications, you know, there's, there's often polypathology, isn't there? And so people have got a range of things that are reinforcing and that, that then, to me, seems like the ultimate time to strike at uh, a holistic approach and trying to get to the, to the real root cause of it. Um, it's really great talking with you, Ewan. I mean, I'm so amazed that you, you work in this integrative setting where I'm, I'm sure you're under 
extra spotlight in a way because uh, it's like herbalism has got some question marks around it. And I'm just wondering, although you sound like you've got a very collaborative uh, partnership you work with there, what, what some of the concerns are about drug-herb interactions and whether that's ever an issue with your fellow colleagues or whether you see that in, in clinic? Um, it's actually not something I come across all that much. Um, there is a lot of bad press, I think, generally around drug-herb interactions, but we have interactions from common foodstuffs like grapefruit juice and, and various other things as well, so it's certainly not uh, isolated to herbal practice. I think it's actually on the contrary that people working within the practice know that there are interactions between herbs and medicines or drugs um, and they know that patients buy these off the shelves or order them from the internet and take them all of the time anyway so what would be more reassuring than have somebody working within the practice to whom they can refer or ask a question whenever this arises and they they are not trained in it as you said at the very outset here so whether or not metformin is going to be affected by taking goats or galego officinalis from which it's, it, it is derived, they won't have a clue. They would just have to err on the side of caution, which says, no, you can't take the two together because I don't know and therefore I can't advise that. Instead, yeah. what they can say is, how about you go and have a chat with Ewan or I'll speak to Ewan at lunchtime and I'll drop you a note and let you know if it's okay to do. Um, and from my opinion, that's again an example of how integrative practice can be much stronger than you know people standing in different silos how everybody benefits especially the patients i mean that's what we're exactly. talking about really i know we're spending lots of time looking at the at the essence of herbalism and how it works in an integrated setting but it's all about the benefit of the of the people and i wondered you know just to finish to explore what some of your hopes are for the future really it sounds like you've got this you know this amazing model clinic you work in mm -hmm. Which, is it the only one in the UK or are there some more? Um, I don't know of any others, Yeah. Um, sadly. Um, yeah. I think there were, there were plans to have other ones, but with the way the NHS is, and yeah. sadly I fall underneath an umbrella of non-essential services, I suspect. So, you know, funding is, is incredibly limited. Uh, so yeah. quite possibly the only uh, primary care setting. So if herbal medicine can offer... Um, you know, an affordable, even cost-effective health benefit, and your 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 practice seems to reflect that. Yeah, just back to that. What some of your realistic dreams and hopes are for the for the future of herbalism? Do you see that spreading out a bit more? Can we see other integrated practices? Do we see that's the direction of uh, conventional medicine and uh, integrating with more complementary methods? some of well, your thoughts again a really interesting question um, a couple of things one um, I think a lot of this would depend upon how herbal medicine presents itself and how it is represented um, unfortunately there is a lack of unity I think around herbal medicine which makes it very difficult for it to um, interact in a meaningful way with larger healthcare institutions like the General Medical Council etc because they have one body that represents them they have one standard of training they you know all of those things help to create a feeling of trust 
um, and credibility, which I think is where herbal medicine struggles a little bit. So that's something I think for the future that needs to be uh, sorted out. Um, and then I, I feel like the demand is there uh, from the point of view of uh, the patients. Patients want to have choice in healthcare. Um, patients want to be treated as people, individuals, rather than a disease. And that's something that herbal medicine does very, very well. Um, and I think the world itself is beginning to look more and more at how we address people, the planet, health, in terms of, in, in a sustainable model. And I think health, herbal health just encapsulates that incredibly well if it's done in the right way. So I think there are a few hurdles before we can get to a place where you have a medical herbalist sitting in most National Health Service uh, surgeries, but I don't see any reason why that shouldn't happen if we can pull together in the right way, train in the right way, have a, uh, a good representation of our profession. Mm. I love what you say about giving people choice. You know, if we give people choice, they've got the freedom to be empowered by their own choosing, haven't they, basically? And then there's a, there's a responsibility for one's health because you've been given the information to, to learn how to manage it as well, which I think is something that herbalism does so brilliantly. And I know you must have lots of lucky students and lots of lucky uh, patients and, uh, and colleagues that you work with in the, in the practice because um, I can hear the depth of your insight and knowledge. So, um, so interesting, isn't it? It's uh, so old herbalism, but it feels so young as well. And like we've got so much opportunity to unfurl if we can do some of the things that you've you've said, particularly around, uh, yeah, collaborating to get our credibility, which will allow people to have more choice. That sounds super exciting to me. Yeah, I like that chain of events. <laughs> yeah, and I can I can see if it's positioned correctly, it's almost something that could be driven by the end recipient of this, which is the patient. A patient calling for and saying, you know, it's not enough that this is this is how how my health is being looked after by by the state. Effectively, you wait until I become ill, then you treat me in a way which is sometimes very impersonal and not mm. not linked to the betterment of my health in many ways. Um, yeah, so I could see it being driven from from that end if we got it right. I love that idea. I mean, you can, we know the huge rise in interest in natural health going on, don't we? I mean, obviously, us both uh, being at Pucker, we see that going on in the herbal tea world, but also in supplements and the interest in diet, whether that's being vegan, vegetarian, more colourful in your food intake. It feels like there's a big calling out for that. And we've been so lucky to train as herbalists, haven't we? Uh, to have, maybe when we were younger, have access to plants and be inspired, but to, to train as herbalists. And... It just feels like it's a, a, some simple knowledge that should be universally available to people. It, it seems like with some simple tips each day, you can, yeah, nudge yourself back into health on a regular, you know, regular feature of, of your day. And so, so glad you're out there helping educate and teach people what to do, Ewan. Uh, well, I love doing it. <laughs> it's good mm -hmm. that one's interest uh, is hopefully aligned with what one wants to see happen in the world. It was uh, lovely to uh, share my interest and uh, life passion with you. Thank you very much for chatting. Yeah, really enjoyed 
talking together, you, and thanks so much for joining. You've been listening to The Herbcast, the podcast from Herbal Reality. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If so, perhaps you'd like to leave us a rating. That would really help us to spread our message for herbal health. We hope you'll join us again for the next episode. And in the meantime, if you'd like a few more herbal insights from us, do have a look at herbalreality.com. We'll learn more from us via Instagram, where we're at herbal.reality, and we're on Twitter and Facebook too. We'll be back with another episode of The Herbcast soon. Thanks for joining. Thank you.